attacked or mutilated in Afghanistan and Iraq. You're listening to the news on RTHK. Morning to you. Three minutes after eight o'clock. Welcome to Money for Nothing. I'm Brian Curtis on this Wednesday morning. The last remaining protesters at Tamar are going home now after a massive march and demonstration and very large police presence. The Monetary Authority steps in to weaken the Hong Kong dollar for the first time in a couple of years. And U.S. Treasury Secretary Jack Liu says China needs to let the renminbi strengthen a bit further. It still uh, needs to appreciate more. It's undervalued. It's fundamentally not fair in terms of trading practices. And coming up on the program, much more on this. This is really my first time to come out. I didn't even go to uh, June 4th. I'm 55. I don't have much time to wait. So I really want to see true democracy. We have already told the government that we want to ha- have the right to elect our own chief executive. But the government didn't give any reply to us. I think Hong Kong people are frustrated and fed up with many policies from the government. We have this slogan this year, with no democracy, we cannot have equality. We'll be touching on this all throughout the program this morning, and we'll also be covering markets. So Wall Street rose to new record highs after strong manufacturing reports came in. Reports from China, the United States, and Britain, and sterling at a six-year high against the U.S. dollar. Our guests this morning include legislator Kenneth Leung on the march and implications for Occupy Central. We'll also be speaking with our reporter, Timmy Sung, in just a moment. And we'll also have with us Erwin Samp from Standard Chartered on market action implications here for markets in Hong Kong and China of the large march. And also Francis Lin will be joining us from Geo Securities. Well, as you heard, if you've been listening to our news this morning or if you took part yesterday, hundreds of thousands of people took to the streets of Hong Kong in the annual pro-democracy march. The police put the number a little under 100,000. The organizers said a little more than 500,000. The large numbers were met by an unprecedented police presence. We go first to our reporter, Timmy Sung, in Central. Timmy, good morning. Good morning, Brian. So the last remaining protesters uh, are starting to uh, to dissipate. It's down to, what, 50 to 100 or so? Well, uh, there are less than 50 of them, and, and in fact, they are leaving one by one, uh, leaving one by one and being taken to coaches arranged by the police earlier. And uh, there are large crowds gathering along the pavement on Chater Road. They cheer for the protesters who still haven't been removed because uh, protesters have found to stay uh, on Chater Road until 8 this morning. So uh, people uh, on Chater Road are very happy that uh, they could make it. And did you see much aggressive treatment in that, or were they peacefully being taken away? Uh, they were largely uh, being removed uh, quite peacefully, uh, but there were one or two protesters who looked quite painful when they were being removed. But uh, there, there were not much violence uh, overnight, but uh, there were still uh, some chaotic scenes around 6 this morning when police officers were trying to further cordon off the area. 
So we saw an enormous number of people marching. Um, I personally put the number at probably about 200,000 or so, but um, obviously reports of much higher from the organizers and much lower from the from the uh, police. Uh, but once they got uh, to Central at about 11 last night, how long did they stay and how long did they take uh, before they finally started to uh, disappear? Uh, the the uh, so democracy march rally uh, uh, ended at 12 last night, and uh, then protesters began gathering uh, and uh, stages 15 on Chater Row. And uh, it was about one and a half hours, around 1.30 uh, this morning, when police officers start, started uh, warning protesters that they should leave or they will be they could be prosecuted and being taken away. And uh, police started uh, removing them at around 3 this morning. And uh, but. Uh, it was. It, it went quite slowly until around uh, quarter to six when they speeded it up. I guess the difference between those who camped out around Tamar by the chief executive's office uh, and Shader Road was that on Shader Road they were in the road, therefore they were removed. And uh, as far as you know, the uh, the protesters over at Tamar they were either on that large grassy area or right uh, off the street, just next to the building. Uh, as far as I know, the uh, the student student uh, protesters on uh, just outside the chief executive office are, are staging a rally on the pavement along uh, next to the chief executive office. So I don't th- uh, they, I don't think police officers have started removing them, but but I uh, but indeed they have told them that that, that uh, the, the the rally they have been staging was illegal and uh, it is a, an illegal assembly. They have been warning protesters that that is an illegal assembly. Just out of the uh, reporter's notebook uh, category, what was the most interesting thing you saw in your coverage uh, over the past 24 hours? Uh, uh, well, uh, well, protesters have been quite calm when, uh, when police officers are uh, removing them, but obviously they were told by the organizers of the stage uh, of the sit-in that they, 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 should, uh, they should remain calm when, when, when police officers uh, remove them. And uh, essentially, uh, officers are also quite calm, and they have been exercising their restraint when they remove uh, uh, protesters. So uh, well, well, it didn't quite uh, expect uh, that there were not much violence that we uh, were expected. Okay, Timmy. Well, thanks very much for joining us here on Money for Nothing. That's our reporter, Timmy Sung, down at Shader Shader Road. Ten minutes now after 8 o'clock. We're still waiting to get Kenneth Leung, uh, the accountancy sector lawmaker, with us on the phone. So what we'll do is we'll move ahead in our coverage. And uh, and welcome to the program now, Francis Leung, who is the CEO of Geo Securities. And we'll bring in Erwin Sanf in just a few minutes. Francis, good morning. Good morning. So a rather large story uh, told yesterday. uh, Mm. People um, out in the streets. It was a massive demonstration demonstration, was it not? Yes, uh, that's, that's the reason that I was uh, delayed about 10 minutes today. <laughs> the traffic in Central is chaos. <laughs> yeah, I don't think I've ever seen such a police presence. I drove yeah. around there this morning uh, at 5 o'clock or so, and uh, literally hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of police vehicles. Um, yeah, and- they've, been, they've been there since yesterday morning. I drove around Central yesterday morning. <laughs> yeah. They were there already, so they've been on the beat for 24 hours. More than 24 hours already. <laughs> it, it's good that it stayed peaceful. Uh, very yeah. few incidents. Uh, yet the, the story itself, I mean, mm. those numbers of people must have sent a strong message. Yeah, uh, do, do, you, do you believe that, uh, that the government and the liaison office and uh, mm. Beijing in general um, 
you know, will have noted that. Well, they they have already noted that, but they will, uh, as they have been, uh, take the hard line. I think uh, that's what the government has been doing, uh, uh, treating the uh, uh, the ob- uh, objectors in the uh, northeast of new territories, and they will do the same with the uh, uh, constitutional reform. They will take the hard line. They will ignore the uh, 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 request of the pan-democrats. Does it make you nervous about the types of numbers that, that might be out for Occupy Central when it comes? Well, uh, today we have about 2,000. But if the number is 100,000, then I think uh, Central will be paralyzed uh, from what we see today. And already uh, the traffic in Central is paralyzed right now. So just imagine if 100,000 people uh, stood their ground in Central uh, when, when Occupy Central comes. As far as you can see, has, mm-hmm. uh, has this... Um I wouldn't call it a crisis, but obviously uh-huh. it, it has been an unfolding drama here. Yep. Has it had any effect on the economy or markets, uh, uh, in your view? Not really, I, uh, because look, if, if you look at the financial markets, uh, uh, they will disrupt the uh, 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 the exchange if, if they occupy their uh, data center in Chiang and I think for the banks as well, I think they all, they have the operational office somewhere else in the Kowloon Bay or something like that. Even if you shut down a central completely, I think the financial markets will operate uh, without a hitch. Okay, let's say good morning to Erwin Santh, head of China Equity Research at Standard Chartered. Erwin, thank you for joining us here on the program. Uh, how about you? Have, have you seen much of an impact and are you expecting much of an impact at Standard Chartered? Well, we've seen this remarkable five-year bull run in the U.S. equity market continue and because of the close ties uh, of the Hong Kong financial markets to the U.S., you know, that would seem to be uh, the overriding factor at the moment with, uh, you know, optimism emerging around uh, growth in the U.S., uh, growth even in Europe, and now signs that uh, growth in China is also stabilizing. The manufacturing reports out overnight uh, seem to cheer investors. Uh, why is that? Because if if the economies are getting much better, that would probably mean ultimately less liquidity from the central banks. And that has been a big part of driving the rally. Well, I think part of the rally has been driven on the expectation that uh – uh, loose liquidity or QE was eventually going to uh, generate uh, growth so that it's not just been a liquidity story. So this confirmation that these uh, uh, easy credit policies that many central banks have been following around the world in which it seems China has uh, joined in more recently uh, are having an impact on growth. So that does seem to be a positive and uh, financial markets are taking it that way. Let me just run a few clips here from Jack Liu um, on the uh, the relationship with China from the U.S. government. Uh, the Treasury Secretary, Jack Liu, was out overnight, and he called for the People's Bank of China to let the renminbi appreciate further. In inflation-adjusted terms, the, the, the RMB has appreciated 14% since uh, 2010. But it still uh, needs to appreciate more. It's undervalued, and that is something that 
hurts um, Chinese consumers. It reduces their purchasing power. One of the things that's so important in terms of China's economy is to increase consumer demand. Um, but it's fundamentally not fair in terms of trading practices. He acknowledged that there has been some progress. They've widened their trading band. In recent weeks, they've raised the target rate. Um, but we seem to take two steps forward and at least part of a step back, and we need to keep making progress getting towards a market-determined exchange rate. And he spoke of the benefits that would accrue to both sides by the move. I think if we can continue to make progress on opening markets and having the exchange rate move towards being a market-determined exchange rate, that will be very important to the U.S. economy, to U.S. businesses' ability to compete on a level playing field. And frankly, I think it's in China's interest. If you look at China's core economic plan, what they put in their third plenum, the issues that I've just described are central to the, what they've adopted as their stated uh, program. So that's why I'm optimistic we'll continue to make progress. And Francis, uh, this story about the U.S. calling for appreciation in the renminbi, <laughs> I mean, it's been going on for such a long time. Does, yeah. Do people really pay much attention to it? No, definitely not, because uh, 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 they always said that China undervalued their currency, and then that's why China's building up their trade surplus. But actually, the trade surplus are go going to somewhere else. They're going to uh, countries like Indonesia, Bangladesh, Vietnam. Etc. Because uh, China is no longer a cheap manufacturing base, and uh, we hear all these complaints from Hong Kong manu manufacturers in the Pearl River Delta that the government's policy is driving them out of business or driving them out of the country. So I think it's really more a political stance than anything else. They need a scapegoat to uh, blame something that that that. that uh, the, the balance of payment is in China's favor. And, and, and yet, um, we mm. see appreciating pressure on the Hong Kong dollar. You heard me mention that yeah, the HKMA stepped in yesterday. It's yep. the first time since December of 2012. Mm -hmm. And that is um, not to protect the Hong Kong dollar, but actually to weaken it yep. because it was strengthening beyond the 775 yeah, that's uh, right. strong end of <laughs> the convertibility range. So, I mean, wouldn't the same pressure for appreciation be felt by the renminbi? And it's only being held back by the authorities. <laughs> yeah, I think so. So because China is still accumulating these surpluses, so that means that there is and there will be continued uh, uh, pressure on the renminbi, I think, uh, uh, after for depreciating 2% the first quarter. Now it's up again. I think it's now 6.15. So it's high. But isn't the U.S. right then that, um, you know, <laughs> that the PBOC is stepping in to, to keep the currency um, weak and not letting it appreciate? Well, when it, oh, when only, it only, appreciate. only for the first quarter. But in the second quarter, they, 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 they let the rains go and they, they let the appreciate again. I think by the end of the year, you should see renminbi appreciating to maybe 6.12 or, so, or, or even higher than that. In any case, Erwin, uh, as we as we uh, talked about just a moment ago with Francis, uh, it doesn't seem to be an issue that too many people uh, pay attention to. But is that is that also the case with the actual companies, um, companies that uh, feel they don't have access or aren't getting uh, fairness in China? Do they feel the same way as market participants? Well, I think the new leadership uh, have set out a clear direction towards a, market, a move 
towards market-based uh, pricing mechanisms. And we have seen quite a lot of progress in various areas on that. Uh, right now, the focus has shifted back a bit towards supporting growth in the domestic economy. Uh, we saw a very big slowdown in China's growth in the first half. But generally, I, th- I think the policy direction is there. And th- there's a realization uh, that the past uh, decade, there wasn't enough progress in that area and that to make uh, growth more sustainable in the Chinese economy and uh, make the economy more efficient, there has to be a move towards market-based pricing mechanisms. But as with everything in China, things proceed in an experimental way. Um, th- there's an avoidance of uh, creating any big shocks to the system. But, but I have, you know, we've seen plenty of evidence that the new leadership are following through uh, with this uh, move. So does that mean that you are in the camp that would essentially be long Chinese equity now? Well, within the China, our view since the beginning of the year remains the same is that within the market, um, people should focus more on value uh, rather than uh, growth sectors. Uh, and that's been playing out reasonably well. So, yeah, the overall market, I think the Asia market showing um, is, some isn't the problem, signs. Isn't the problem that, that value is in a lot of these old dinosaur state-owned enterprise companies and uh, that uh, when you look at the companies that are really growing in the private sector, they are probably overvalued? Um, isn't that a kind of conundrum or, uh, or doesn't it make it difficult for an investor? No, I think the division in the market is between old economy and new economy rather than private versus uh, state-owned enterprise. Uh, so, yeah, ideally you would find a private enterprise, uh, very well-managed, globally competitive in an old economy sector. That that would be the best combination and uh, particularly the machinery sector uh, has a lot of companies like that. Uh, generally, you know, investors are still, we think, focus too much on paying very large premiums um, in sectors like internet and the environment. But now that the government has really put a floor under growth in the overall economy, uh, we're looking at sectors like uh, the property sector, uh, the brokers, uh, the auto sector, the coal sector. Uh, these have been pushed out of favor, but they offer the greatest, uh, I guess, cyclicality or exposure to cyclicality in the economy. So those are the sectors we're recommending at the moment. And if we can find good private enterprises in those sectors, yeah, we would prefer those over the state-owned enterprises. Francis, what do you like at the moment? Well, I think for the moment, the auto sector is doing very, very well, especially like Dongfeng Motors. Uh, it's been appreciated almost daily for eight, nine, and also the uh, uh, Guangzhou uh, Guangzhou mode, I think it, that is, the, and because the government's policy is to uh, phase out six million old cars and replace them with new cars, so they they got a shot in the arm. <laughs> and of course, I think uh, Tencent is doing well and will be doing well. And uh, I think maybe uh, after a little while, I think uh, the property sector has to go down a little bit further before rebounding because what we see is really steep discounts for a lot of the uh, mainland properties uh, up to 85%. So uh, uh, if and when they can ride out the storm and uh, if the government relaxes its restrictive policies, I think the uh, mainland property sh- should stage a rebound. Let me ask you a key question, both yeah. of you. Um, may- maybe go to you first, Francis. Uh, if the U.S. finally does get a little bit of a correction, mm-hmm. you know, people have been calling for it for a long time. Yeah. 
Does that mean that money will flow in here, or will we suffer even more than we've suffered already this year, being one of the few markets that's down for the year? Well, there is a saying that uh, Hong Kong is following the footsteps of the Asia market, meaning that it's going nowhere though for the past five years. The key point is, when you look at Asia market, there is not a stock like uh, Apple or Google or even Tencent, and people don't make money at all. It's, uh, uh, it's basically a haven for speculators and market manipulators. That's why the market is not doing anywhere, going anywhere at all. So I predict the Hong Kong market will stay below uh, 25000 uh, for the coming year. Okay, I'll, I'll uh, get Irwin's answer in just a minute, but first let me tell people what Wall Street did. Stocks up to new records. The Dow Jones Industrial Average got to within just two points of 17,000. Indices on factory output, as I mentioned earlier, in the major economies seemed to signal expansion, and that sheared investors. The S&P 500 was up 0.7% in 1973, and the Dow jumped 129 points to 16,956. The yield on the 10-year Treasury note was up four basis points to 2.57%. So the question, correction anytime soon, was put to David Rubenstein. It is uh, something that's probably going to happen at some point. I suspect that when interest rates go up, you will see a correction. Now, interest rates have been artificially low for quite some time, and the Fed has said probably not until the middle of next year will they begin to increase interest rates. So probably when that happens, you will see some correction, but you never really know. Uh, Trying to predict exactly when a market correction is going to occur is really a fool's errand. Mr. Rubenstein uh, is the head honcho at the uh, private equity group, the Carlyle Group. He says there are still assets out there with good value. Well, there's certainly uh, places where you can invest money. You can't just look at things in the United States and say leverage buyouts might be expensive in the United States or they might be expensive in Europe, let's say. Uh, There's always places you can invest your money. And remember, the rate of return we have to achieve isn't 40% per annum. Uh, Right now, uh, I think investors are quite happy if we can get high teen rates of return, so 19 18% net would be quite good. And so there are a lot of deals where we think we can achieve that. And he likes energy. Energy. Carbon-related energy is very attractive right now. Uh, Because of fracking and other techniques that are developing more oil and gas in the United States, this is a very attractive area to invest, but this is going to spread around the world as well. So we think international energy as well as domestic energy and carbon-related kinds of products are going to be very attractive. Exploration production as well as storage, transportation, uh, and other kinds of transportation-related things. So that's David Rubenstein from the Carlyle Group. And, and Erwin, if we do see a correction, uh, does that any of that money flow here or do we lose further? So we are already seeing uh, early signs of emerging markets coming back into favor in the recent fund flow data that we look at. And I think it's because the glo- global growth prospects have brightened after a weak uh, first quarter. And, and when people sort of raise their estimates or expectations around uh, growth for the global economy, there tends to be a willingness to put more money into emerging markets. And on top of that, we've had uh, China clearly doing some credit easing, which is help- helping stabilize their growth picture. And in India, we had the positive outcome for the uh, uh, election. So, so there's been some events recently uh, which have you know, we are seeing signs that uh, flows are starting to return to emerging markets. And what about the U.S. Federal Reserve? I mean, Mr. Rubenstein there mentioned that we may get a blip when the uh, rates start to go up. Uh, we're coming, uh, coming into a period where the tapering process will, will probably uh, run its course through the fall. What happens then? 
Well, we are forecasting uh, rising rates going into next year. Uh, this is actually quite good news for North Asian equities, that they have a uh, positive uh, correlation with uh, US rates, more so than uh, ASEAN or India. So I think the South Asian markets have been more popular within the region, but we are expecting going into next year that uh, China, uh, Hong Kong, Korea, that these markets will benefit if um, uh, rates are trending up. The way it's supposed to work, of course, is that uh, the Fed is providing stimulus uh, until it sees the economy, um, you know, being able to stand on its own feet. Uh, however, the tapering process uh, continued through the first half of the year when growth was zero for the first six months. Is there a fear that the Fed may get it wrong, that they may just feel compelled because there's so many calls from those on the right that want rates to go higher, that they'll, they'll start raising rates at a time when the economy is not doing very well? Well, I think the Fed was clear that uh, you know there was a weather-related impact in the first quarter of the year, and it seems that they were correct in that assessment because you know r- recent indications are that growth is improving both uh, within the domestic U.S. economy and elsewhere. Uh, so, so I think they probably got that right, um, and we should expect uh, rates to be trending higher as long as this improvement in growth continues. I should mention a few numbers, which I didn't get to earlier. The Nikkei is up 83 points now in early trading. It's a day of green numbers. Australia is higher by 1%. Seoul is also up, but not quite as much, about a quarter of a percent. One of the interesting aspects overnight, uh, sterling hit a six-year high against the U.S. dollar. The pound is now trading at 13 Hong Kong dollars and 29 cents. 13.29, that is really quite a muscular level. The dollar yen, 101.59, really no change there, not much. And the euro at 136.81, so not much change there. But the Australian dollar did strengthen from uh, right around 94 cents. We're up to almost 95 cents now, 94.91 U.S. cents. And the New Zealand dollar up to almost 88 cents. Uh, any of those uh, currencies um, interest you fellas? It sounds like we should stay in Hong Kong and yeah, delay those. Overseas trips. <laughs> what, ab- right. what, what about the, the Hong Kong dollar strengthening to its, its strongest level possible? Um, in, in one sense, that might not be good for Hong Kong, but in another sense, it is. Uh, Francis, what do you well, think? Well, it is good because it, that shows demand for Hong Kong dollars, but I think it's mostly related to the financial markets for the uh, new shares coming, coming into the market. Uh, people need to exchange for Hong Kong dollars to subscribe for shares. And we don't have to worry too much about our services economy being overpriced too much because uh, we've got the limit of 775 to the dollar. Yeah, that's right. I, I, I think that's the one that's stabilizing factor for the past 20 years also. Okay, the easy question from the announcer, what's your single best investment idea at the moment, Francis? Oh, I just mentioned it, uh, Dongfeng Motors, uh, 489. Okay, and Erwin? Uh, China Vanke, uh China's best property developer, has finally got its shares trading in the Hong Kong market, uh, still trades on an attractive discount, and importantly, uh, management uh, buying shares with their own money. So that's our topic. It's so cool that you guys actually name names. You know, most people say, well, I can't really discuss them. We, we like this sector or that. But anyway, thanks, thanks very much, guys, for joining us here on Money for Nothing. Francis Lun, CEO of Geo Securities, Erwin Sam, who's head of China Equity Research at Standard China. 
chartered. And unfortunately, we didn't get Kenneth Lung. Sorry that we billed that we would have him, but I'm sure it was a crazy and difficult night for a lot of people and probably just slept in or got swept into a meeting. But we had expected to speak with Kenneth Lung, the uh, lawmaker in the accountancy sector. And of course, we wanted to talk about um, what is happening there with the big four accounting firms. Uh, Very nervous about Occupy Central and the employees taking the other side of that argument. Money for nothing. The time is 8.30. Well, the shine of the weather goes like this. Sunshine today. Chance of showers and very hot conditions. Maximum temperature 32. The outlook mainly fine and very hot over the next few days. CHK Radio 3 Back chat is coming up next, right after the news, which we get now with Samantha Butler. Police have forcibly removed hundreds of protesters who were staging a peaceful sit-in in Chater Road in Central following yesterday's annual pro-democracy rally. Despite the protesters vowing to disperse peacefully at 8 o'clock this morning, police began moving in at 3 a.m. to force them out, threatening to arrest them. Police have just finished loading the last remaining demonstrators onto coaches. Our reporter Timmy Sung spoke to us a short while ago. There are less than 50 of them, and in fact they are leaving one by one. Uh, leaving one by one and being taken to coaches arranged by the police earlier. And uh, there are large crowds gathering along the pavement on Chater Road. They cheer for the protesters who still haven't been removed because uh, protesters have found to stay uh, on Chater Road until 8 this morning. So uh, people uh, on Chater Road are very happy that uh, they could make it. The organisers of yesterday's July the 1st March say half a million people took part while police put the turnout at 98,000. Hong Kong University's public opinion programme 